What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 173 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to recap our results from week seven in the NFL on DraftKings, reflect on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. Finally, our Discord channel is open. It's available. It's free to join. The link to do so is in the description of the podcast. Joey? We finally did it, maybe for the first time in years. We ran the same lineup in cash games, and we didn't get absolutely washed. What a week. Yeah, solid week. Uh, good to get back in the W column in cash games. Yeah, we ended up on the same lineup. Felt like it was the most optimal lineup pre-lock, and it wasn't looking great. But, you know, if you play Cooper Cup, you're winning money this year, and that's all that matters. So, shout out to Cooper Cup. Shout out to Jalen Hurts and... Shout out to us for uh, getting the dub in cash games pretty easily. Yeah, man. I mean, God, this dude Cooper Cup is like actually the GOAT. Like if if you want 40 points in your DraftKings lineup, just plug (laughs) Cup in and he'll get you there. No Cup, no cash. Like we need to get that on some shirts, I think. Yeah, facts. This this dude is having a crazy season, but you know, we'll we'll talk about that shortly. Yeah. So in terms of cash games on DraftKings, the cash line was sitting at about 143 in double ups. Our lineup put up 156.14. For me, that was good enough to win about 60% of my head-to-heads and all double ups that we entered just from like a lineup perspective it was a little bit different like we prioritized the paying up at wide receiver like we talked about all year you know derrick henry had a decent game nothing great by his standards Devonte adams was was 20 points behind cup so if you went there you were in a tough spot and all in all it was really just you know like we said whether or not you played cooper cup because that made all the difference in the world like we were on the wrong side of some of the other 2v2s but it was okay as long as you had cooper cup in your lineup yeah i mean cooper cup is just a god and i mean coming into lock and and looking at the lineup like i said i felt like it was the most optimal lineup possible we played kelvin ridley we played chris godwin two receiver plays that were a little chalky especially chris godwin but they were two of the best plays on the slate so i felt like they were a priority this week and then henderson at running back felt like he was a priority quarterback came down to really Hertz or Lamar and they both scored very similarly just saved 500 off Hertz and we felt like he was the better play out of the two and he ended with 24 points and you know the lineup came together with what seven minutes left in, in the fourth we got a cup touchdown we got a Jalen Hurts touchdown you know a couple uh Chris Godwin and Cole Komet catches and we were sailing to the money yeah I mean the the real interesting conversation I think about this lineup is whether or not we were going to late swap it was always set up for us to be losing going into the 4 p.m games with six out of our nine players playing in in the 
4 p.m. games. So we were obviously going to be buried. You know, we didn't have our quarterback. Lamar Jackson had already played. Calvin Ridley was disappointing. Adams had a middling game. So it wasn't like, you know, if Adams had put up 40, there was a chance that I might have gotten off of this coming into the 4 p.m. games. But, you know, to me, this week was about whether or not you trusted that you made the right decisions pre-lock because so much was still up in the air that you you kind of just either had, you know, to channel your inner Cole Beasley and have some heavy nuts and have some commitment and stay with it. Or, you know, you were going to have to make <laughs> some suboptimal swaps, you know, going cup to Hopkins or, or something like along those lines. But I think that, you know, we talked about it and decided that, you know, the, the most optimal path was sticking with the lineup we chose and, and it ended up paying off. Yeah, I mean, we only had three players playing early. So like you said, we were bound to be losing going into the four o'clock games. And I went through and, and looked at all of the ownership um, and Derrick Henry came in 24%. Daryl Williams was 20%. Devontae Adams was 20%. Ricky Seals-Jones was what, like 36% yep. or no, Ricky Seals-Jones was 25% in cash. So after all of those guys, had relatively underwhelming days I knew that we didn't have to swap yeah the the guys that we were on were going to be chalky in the late window but we I think we had enough uh, leverage just by not playing Devontae Adams Derrick Henry Daryl Williams etc in the early window that we should stay and we should be good and you know, ended up working out and can't complain about getting a W in cash games yeah for sure I mean I was thinking about it it's like yeah, everybody we had was chalky, so we weren't really gaining a ton on the field by our players doing well, but I think because of the way we had our lineup constructed, we just had more players. So we just needed them all to get there, not, you know, one to like out leverage another player, like going down to Woods or Cup. Like that didn't seem like it was optimal. We just needed all of our guys to sort of get there. Obviously, Hendo disappointed, but he was owned by like 80% of people in cash games. So that was just a wash. And then, you know, en enough people didn't play Cooper Cup and played Adams or Henry instead. And that was really the differentiator for us. So feel good yeah, about mean, <laughs> this week for sure. Cooper Cup was 30% owned in the massive uh, $25 double up. So 70% of the users on DraftKings that played in this contest said, nah, I'm not, I'm not playing 30 to 40 points in my lineup, which was surprising. To say the least, to say the least. I don't know, anything else you want to hit on here in terms of decision points on the week? You know what was interesting is that like 60% owned defense shipped a bunch of tournaments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you could have just penciled in the Cardinals getting 10 or more points in this spot. And that's why they were chalk because it's like, when can you ever guarantee a defense getting 10 plus? into your lineup especially in cash yeah not often so i felt like the cardinals defense was a lock and you know they had 11 points only gave up what five points in the game had a couple sacks whatever so they were fine at 3100 but there were better defenses the titans defense was like stone men and they put up like 17 the giants were like 2500 and they put up 17 so there was better defenses and that's why we always say in tournaments just get off the chalk defenses because there's really no correlation to ownership and fantasy points at defense it's just a crap shoot so surprising to see that people still won with with the cardinals d but they had a 
good game. And then another decision point that I think a lot of people were maybe toying with was the Darren Waller news. You know, it was reported that he was injured. He might not play, but they played at four o'clock. So it was some late news. And then he ended up getting scratched and Foster Moreau ended up becoming available at 2,500. And honestly, I felt like he was a better play than Cole Komet uh, just because the Eagles get torched by tight ends. The Bears are just abysmal on offense, which we will talk about later. And Foster Moreau, I mean, he he he's a solid pass catching tight end. So I wanted to play him. I just didn't want to just change my entire lineup. Uh, and especially in cash games, I played him in tournaments. I played him in the Millie Maker and I had the worst GPP week of like my entire life this week. Shout out to the Chiefs, but at least I got that right. And he ended up coming in like five to 8% in tournaments. So late swap, there's still an edge there. And I, I know some people that uh, played him in cash too, after that news came out, um, some, some pros as well. So I, I think that was definitely a decision point. And if you're paying attention, that was a clear leverage spot after the 1 p.m. games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I didn't, I was kind of in the same spot where it's like I slightly preferred him, but not like by any kind of crazy stretch. And and it was like, you know, what am I doing? Like, am I just going to leave 500 on the board to make the swap? Because there was nobody else I really wanted to get off of. Like, you know, had had we been in different position, I think I might have done it and like tried to get up to Mike Evans or something from God. I don't know, but you know, it, it ultimately like worked out fine. Like, like we said, like, you know, even though Moreau put up like nine more points than Cole Komet, that's fine because enough people faded Cooper Cup's 40 that, that we still got there. So tough scene for you in, in the GPP streets. I don't know what you were thinking, stacking the game with the uh, 58 game total. <laughs> yeah, just a uh, brutal week. The Chiefs score three points, everybody busts. And a lot of my lineups had Mahomes, Tyreek, AJ Brown correlations. I play about 15 tournament lineups a week, only one cashed out of 15. So shout out, shout out to me and oh, just, just a tough week. And I'm still looking for a bank. You know, it just, it's hard, man. Gets, gets kind of uh, depressing seeing everybody else win and you can't win. Uh, but just gotta, gotta stick with the process and hopefully I could bink something before this season is over. And God, I mean, we're already on week eight, like this season is flying by. So hopefully it comes sooner than later, but just, just trying to get there, you know? Yeah, dude, don't, don't get too down on yourself. I think we'll both be on uh, team screenshots before long. <laughs> All right, let's get into some of the interesting stats and storylines for the week. And let's start off with one of the most incredible rookie seasons that we have ever seen in Jamar Chase. And this man, I mean, he's just different, okay? First of all, the crazy thing is not that he put up over 200 yards as a rookie wide receiver. It's that he did it. He's not even leading his team in targets, right? T. Higgins is the leader in team target share in all the games that they've both been healthy. Higgins had 15 targets. Jamar Chase had 10 Meanwhile, Chase is going eight for 201 and one, averaging 25.1 yards per catch. And the crazy thing is that he's averaged over 20 yards per catch in five out of the seven games that he's played as an NFL pro. That's just unbelievable. He's averaging over 20 yards per catch on the season, 754 yards as a rookie. The receiving record right now was set in 1960 by Bill Groman. And I don't know, man, I I think Chase beats it this year. How how, how are you feeling about Jamar Chase at this point? Yeah, I mean, Jamar Chase is elite and he had one of the best prospect profiles 
that we've seen out of out of a wide receiver in the last 15 years coming out of LSU and I just think people forget how dominant he was there like he made Justin Jefferson the number two wide receiver there so like this kid was always the real deal and he's showing out in the NFL he toasted Marlon Humphrey multiple times yesterday and Marlon Humphrey is no scrub right so Jamar Chase is a great wide receiver he's elite he probably does break that record Jamar Chase is probably the offensive rookie of the year and he is the wide receiver three in full PPR right now and he was going as a seventh round pick to end the best ball season so he is definitely one of the best values from this season in terms of ADP and I I feel like I got this one right. Like I, I've, if you've been listening to us, especially during the best ball season, I think I drafted more Jamar Chase than anybody else. Mm. Just period. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you've been a big Jamar Chase guy. I mean, I feel like your best ball team should hopefully be profiting from that. I don't know how, how closely you look at those during the season, but I, I feel like especially the pre-draft ones have to be loaded with a bunch of Jamar Chase in the oh, mid yeah. rounds 20 20 plus percent jamar chase in, yeah. in pre-draft best ball tournaments yeah i mean that's lit like from a season-long perspective like i don't know if there's any player outside of cooper cup that i would trade jamar chase for straight up like if somebody offered me like Devonte adams for jamar chase i don't i don't know that i'm accepting that i really don't <laughs> yeah i mean jamar chase has two more ppr points than Devonte adams right now you know i probably would do that if you can get a Devonte adams for him just because uh the target shares jamar chase wasn't even the highest targeted Bengals wide receiver this week there's always that floor risk with jamar chase that he doesn't get the majority of targets and Devonte adams i mean he's a 35 percent target share guy this season so i would definitely make that trade but there's not many other uh players i would trade jamar chase for so Another rookie that has been absolutely dominating as of late is Kyle Pitts. I think, you know, we were hitting the panic button a little bit too early on Kyle Pitts to start the season. He opened up with great usage and, you know, the production just wasn't hitting, but it has been in recent weeks and back-to-back games. Week five, he went nine for 111 and one. You know, the Falcons have a bye the following week and this week coming out of the bye, he drops seven for 163 on the Dolphins. He is currently tight end five in fantasy points per game and you know I think his ceiling this year remains tight end one overall you know he's gonna beat Waller by the end of the year he's gonna beat Kittle by the end of the year and you know if the Chiefs offense keeps disappointing I think he could beat Kelsey by the end of the year especially if his usage remains as fantastic as it is he is playing a league leading 31.6 percent of his snaps out wide at the tight end position and he's got the talent to capitalize on that opportunity yeah Kyle Pitts another player that I think we were both high on in best ball along with Jamar Chase I was drafting so much Kyle Pitts in the ninth tenth round on drafters and then in the sixth seventh round on underdog for a majority of the summer he's one of my highest owned tight ends and he's just a different breed man you know talent obviously does matter but he was coming into a bunch of opportunity mm-hmm. with Julio Jones leaving we're just now starting to see that come to fruition he's getting used at a very high rate right now he looks to be just the the clear-cut first option in the Falcons offense over Calvin Ridley yeah so that is definitely encouraging to see for Kyle Pitts discouraging for Calvin Ridley uh drafters but he's what the tight end seven right now in just fantasy points so he has a little bit of ground to make up if he wants to reach tight end one overall he's like 40 points back out of 
Kelsier or whatever. So I think that is a stretch, but he should definitely finish top five in. I think he was one of the best values at tight end, even though he ended up being a fifth round pick by the end of best ball season. So Kyle Pitts, great. Jamar Chase is great. And I think just you got to bet on talent. Like, especially with these guys that get drafted in the top five, they have to be good, right? <laughs> like, like these teams are drafting them with high capital. They have to be good. And I think these were two of the most undervalued uh, fantasy assets this season. And I think we got both of them right. So shout out to us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like people are like, oh, you know, tight end rookies. They don't they don't usually hit. Well, dude, like the Lions taking like Brandon Pettigrew in the first rounds a little bit different <laughs> than Kyle Pitts going as the highest tight end ever drafted. So maybe, you know, settle down with the false comparisons. And uh, last thing I would say is that Kyle Pitts also had an early buy. So, you know, he does have at least one less game played if you're looking at total tight end points. So I think that he could he could definitely make some ground up, especially if he's used as highly as he has been over the last three weeks, averaging nine targets per game which is absolutely phenomenal at the tight end position yep 100 agree just the touchdown upside i think is is kind of lower than some of right. these other tight ends on this terrible falcons offense true true at the tight end position you know i think a lot of people were expecting a lot out of Dallas Goddard this week following the trade of Zach Ertz. His box score was good. You know, it was average. He had three for 70, which is, you know, a good yards per catch, only five targets, added a nice little two-point conversion in there for for a few extra fantasy points. But the encouraging thing from Dallas Goddard was that he played 93% of snaps. It was the first time that he's played more than 73 in a game this season. I think Goddard is a buy right now. I think we saw the usage that we wanted to post Zach Ertz, and it just bodes well for his upside if he's going to be out there running routes you know being being involved in every snap for the offense and he only got a hundred dollar price bump on DraftKings next week for a matchup against the Lions I'm going to be pretty interested in Dallas Goddard going forward yeah and I think this was pretty predictable after the Zach Ertz news right they finally got rid of the guy that was taking away snaps from Goddard I think we know Goddard's talent he's one of the better tight ends in the NFL he just needed the opportunity and that day has finally come and he's going to be unleashed and that was the point of trading Zach Ertz right was to finally unleash Goddard they're probably going to sign him to a nice contract extension and he's a focal point of the Eagles offense especially after Miles Sanders going down so I think they're going to be passing the ball even more than they already were and Goddard is going to be the first or second option in that offense so he's a great buy moving forward if you want to try and trade for him in redraft he's probably a great dynasty asset too if you play dynasty leagues so dallas goddard i don't know i don't know he's i think i think he's gonna think he's gonna be great and he could definitely end up being a a top five tight end the rest of the season yeah i mean uh, just a little sneak peek for the people like the type of move i'm gonna be trying to make is like i I wonder if i could get goddard plus for something like darren waller i don't know i don't know but i think that they're you know goddard is right up in that tier of sort of top top end production at the tight end position if you can get him plus for something like that i would be really interested in making a move like that you know with the eagles Jalen Hurts is the absolute king of garbage time this season. Amazingly, I saw this stat this morning, 43% of his fantasy football production has come in the fourth quarter. Like he is legitimately the 2021 Blake Bortles of fantasy football. And you know what we saw yesterday was no different. Like it was not a good real life game from Jalen Hurts, 52.9% completion percentage. He went 18 for 236 and two passing on 34 attempts, got his usual production on the ground 
ground, 13 attempts for 61 yards, which is why we like Jalen Hurts so much. But, you know, from a game perspective, like I don't expect this to stop at all. I think the Eagles are going to be in a lot of negative scripts and I think Hurts is going to continue to eat. But the thing that we have to ask ourselves, like, is Hurts bad enough as a real life quarterback that he could get benched and, you know, our beautiful endless well of reliable 20 point (laughs) fantasy points per game is soon to be gone. Is the well going to dry up on Jalen Hurts because of his real life skill? I don't think so, but I think that's just because this is already a lost season for the Eagles, in my opinion. They just lost Miles Sanders to an ankle injury. Their defense is horrendous. They have a first-year head coach. They have a terrible defensive coordinator. The GM is horrible. The The Eagles just need to, to start over, and, and maybe that means... Jalen Hurts isn't there next year or he's not the guy next season especially with the Eagles having three first round picks but this season it's Jalen Hurts and you see what you got with him Mm-hmm. Gardner Minshew, we, we've seen it. He's not it, right? What upside is he giving you over Jalen Hurts? None. I, I don't get that whole argument. Joe Flacco, let's be real. He shouldn't even be in the NFL. So I don't really understand why people want to see Jalen Hurts benched like on social media. A lot of people are calling for it. Um, A lot of fans, I should say. And it makes no sense because you're not going to win games with Flacco. You're not going to win games with Gardner Minshew, especially with just the structural problems that you have in your in your franchise from coaching to talent on the roster, etc. So it just doesn't make any sense. But Jalen Hurts, yeah, he gets a lot of his production in the fourth quarter, but football games have four quarters, right? He The rest of his games are going to have four quarters. That's an astute observation. So... I don't really care how his fantasy points come or when they come, as long as he gets it. And he is the quarterback two right now, pending Monday night football in fantasy. Quarterback two, going in the ninth round. Quarterback one, Tom Brady. So both of these guys were getting drafted late in best ball, late in redraft, and they're just killing it right now. So shout out to Jalen Hurts, shout out to Tom Brady, and I don't think Jalen Hurts should or will get benched. Yeah, he hasn't been great, but the Eagles just are not a good team. So you obviously have to put some of the blame on him, but not all of it. And this season is just see what you got on him and move on after this year. And I don't think he's a starter long term, so I wouldn't invest in him too heavily in Dynasty. But for this season, he is a top five fantasy quarterback without a doubt. Yep, that that is all factual. And, and you know another thing that we should shout out is us you know you want to talk about something else we were on like god like we were drafting the shit out of Jalen Hurts this year I mean you know on paper I feel like our best ball team should be absolutely sailing on paper (laughs) and then I go and look at underdog and it's brutal I don't know how I feel like all of my teams are pretty solid and this has just been a crazy year if you had a top pick in best ball your teams are probably losing. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just that simple. Kamara has underperformed. Delvin Cook has been hurt and has underperformed. CMC has only played three games. So if you had a top three pick, your teams are probably dog shit right yep. now. And if you came back in the second round and drafted Calvin Ridley, you're dusted. Darren Waller, dusted. Eh. Kittle, dusted. Ceh, dusted. It's been it's been brutal. It's it's been brutal and. Doesn't look I'm going to be winning a million dollars from underdog, so that's a tough scene. But I haven't looked in a couple weeks, so who knows? I think uh, I think our motto for the podcast this year is going to be the same motto for best ball season. It's it's no cup, no cash. Like if you drafted yeah. Cooper Cup, you're probably winning your league, low key. One of the contributing factors I would say to our downturn in in best ball this year is Justin Fields. 
somebody we were both high on in the offseason. And I just I don't know what to say about Justin Fields. Like, obviously, some of it, I think, can be blamed on Matt Nagy and the situation he's in. But at a certain point, like, you're, you can't be dog shit. And he's been absolute dog shit. Like, there's no other way to put it. Like, he's, he's had spots where he's got wide receivers open and he misses them. Like, it's what he's trying to do. Like, he's like, yo, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna miss this dude. And then he just executes on that plan. He turned the ball over five times yesterday against a beatable Bucks secondary. He single handedly tanked the value of Allen Robinson, someone who previously was immune to bad quarterback play. Like, think about that. Like, Allen Robinson has never had good quarterback play and he's always been a top end wide receiver receiver. Justin Fields is so bad right now that even he has stopped Allen Robinson's fantasy value. Like, I I don't know what to do with Justin Fields. Like, he feels like like Daniel Jones rookie year bad. Yeah, he's he's been bad. It's it's tough because this is something that we were wrong about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we said Justin Fields would end up being a league winner just because of his dual threat ability. And he was going in like the 13th round. So pretty low ADP for a guy with his talent and his, his potential upside and ceiling due to his rushing. But God, it's honestly like, yeah, you, you got to put some blame on him. He's looked bad, but the situation that he is in is terrible. <laughs> The Bears are just an abysmal franchise. Matt Nagy is a terrible head coach. Like, for example, on his first interception yesterday, saw this on Twitter. They told him in the headset, because you know how they could the coaches can talk to the, the quarterback before the play. They told him in the headset that the Bucks had 12 men on the field. So he threw the ball up, just like free shot, got intercepted. The Bucks actually didn't have 12 people on the field. <laughs> You know, so it's like, can, can you blame him for that? I don't, I don't think. Nagy can't even count. Dude can't count to 12. Bruh. And he's just not using Justin Fields, I think, in the way that he should be used. Like, Justin Fields is very good at play action, or he has been this season. And the Bears are, like, running play action plays at one of the lowest rates in the NFL. So it's like, what are you doing to help your rookie quarterback excel? Nothing. Matt Nagy is doing nothing, and he needs to be gone, I think. Justin Fields obviously is underperforming. He's definitely not a league winner. Um, He shouldn't even be on anybody's fantasy teams at this point. I still think the future is sky high for Justin Fields, and he just needs a a new coach, and it's that simple. And the the Bears need a new coach in general. So hopefully that happens, and just brutal, brutal to see. I mean, Matt Nagy not being the coach in 2022 seems like the biggest lock of of the offseason. So, yeah, I mean, I would I would personally inv- invest in Justin Fields. Like, if you're in a dynasty league, I would try and trade for him now. But, I mean, it's definitely a lost year. It's chalked for him this season. Yeah. Another quarterback that is struggling to say the least is Sam Darnold. I mean, God, he was so bad yesterday that he got benched. For P.J. Walker, former GOAT quarterback of the XFL, I mean, Walker came in, did absolutely nothing, went three for 14, or went three of 14 for 33 yards, looked horrible, and I mean, it came out, like, afterwards that the, like after this game that the Panthers might be you know a team that is likely to make a move for Watson with Tua coming out and looking pretty decent in Miami I think that that's like a very viable possibility that Deshaun Watson is is going to be a primary target for the Panthers I mean do you think that there's any credence to that that report that they're they're all in on Watson at this point I don't know if that's true I'm pretty sure the Panthers also came out and said that like Sam Darnold is the guy moving forward so that's what the Dolphins said too somebody's lying I don't know who. I mean, yeah. 
that one of these teams is definitely lying. I think the Eagles are just laying in the weeds, ready yeah. to pounce mm. if they have the opportunity. But it wouldn't really make too much sense to give up, you know, the capital that they have in this upcoming draft to trade for a guy that has all of those allegations against him. Wouldn't make too much sense to do that. But I could definitely see Miami or Carolina making a move. I think both of them have. I think both of those teams have good rosters and could potentially compete this season well not maybe not the Dolphins but the Panthers could so if I was the Panthers owner I definitely would be looking to trade Darnold to Houston and get Watson in return especially because they still have a chance and obviously they're going to get CMC back probably in week nine so yeah if I'm the Panthers I'm moving on from Sam Darnold the experiment is whatever he's okay I guess I like he he's been dog shit the last couple of games he was good to start the season his fantasy numbers were kind of boosted with those rushing touchdowns which he's not getting right now and he hasn't been good I've never been a big Sam Darnold guy I think he is an average quarterback at best in the NFL so if I can move on from him and get a Deshaun Watson like I'm doing that 10 out of 10 times like you know what you got with Sam Darnold you got a game managing quarterback who isn't going to move the needle at all in terms of wins and losses it's that simple Sam Darnold like we know what he is like even if he was with Adam Gase or whatever he didn't show anything like if you had the talent, you would at least show something. Show that you can do something in the NFL. He didn't really show anything in New York. And he hasn't been that great this year. So if I'm if I'm the Panthers owner, like I said, I'm cutting bait with him immediately. I'm trading him to Houston. Let him go die there with the abysmal Houston Texans franchise and call it a day. And the Panthers could potentially go on a Super Bowl run if they get Watson. So... Yeah, it'd be a no brainer move for Carolina. Absolutely. Obviously, Watson has the the clause in his his contract where he can, you know, say where he wants to go or, or veto a trade if he doesn't like it. But, you know, if I'm him, like the reports were that like Miami was the one team that he's approved so far, like I would much, much rather go to Carolina. You know, you got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, CMC coming back, Terrace Marshall Lane in the weeds there versus, you know, like an injured Devontae Parker and Will Fuller, like just throwing to Gesicki and, and Jalen Waddle, like, no, I'm good on that. Like, definitely Panthers would be the optimal spot from like a real life perspective for Watson and like a fantasy football perspective for us. So we'll see how that goes. Trade deadline is in about eight days from the time of recording this November 2nd. And and I think that we could definitely see some movement on the Watson front in the coming week. A bit of injury news, Josh Jacobs was injured in the first half of the Raiders game, which led to Kenyon Drake getting 14 attempts for 69 yards and a touchdown, added three receptions for 10 yards. I think it's interesting just to bring this up because Peyton Barber was a healthy scratch. We saw earlier in the year that when Josh Jacobs got hurt, Peyton Barber came in and dominated touches. It was like a really weird thing to see considering how much they paid Kenyon Drake in the offseason. We thought that he would be utilized in the offense and be sort of the clear-cut guy to step up if and inevitably when Josh Jacobs got hurt. And and I think that because they moved on from Gruden and because we see a clear disparity in the way that they're handling personnel here, that I think it's safe to say that, you know, they've made the move to Drake as the clear number two with Barber being a healthy scratch. He was signed for a bunch of money in the offseason. His utilization didn't make any sense. Now it kind of does. And I think if Jacobs misses any substantial time, Drake would kind of be launched into a pretty valuable role at this point. Raiders have a bye week coming up, followed by a really nice match up against the Giants in week nine I think Kenya Drake will definitely have a solid fantasy role 
for the rest of the season. You know, definitely makes sense what you said about his usage just kind of being a John Gruden thing. So if he gets used in the way we expected him to get used in the offseason, you know, he's one of the highest paid backup running backs in the NFL. Like they definitely should be using him. He'll be a solid fantasy starter every week. And if Josh Jacobs misses time, you know, he'll be a fringe RB1 you know, high-end RB2, in my opinion. So, Kenya Drake, solid for our best ball teams. I don't think you could really trade for him in, in fantasy. I mean, you can, but you'll probably get three or four weeks of elite usage. And other than that, he'll probably give you like 10 to 11 points a week but he was I think it was I think he was still a solid uh pick in fantasy and whatever usable weeks you can get out of him you'll take especially with all of the injuries this season so I've, I've always liked Kenyon Drake so I, I have a bias towards him yeah and I, I have it but I came around to him late and I'm, I'm fully on him for this season I have a ton of Kenyon Drake in best ball so so I hope he does well going forward I mean nobody's a bigger lock to miss games every single year than Josh Jacobs so I yeah. think the Kenyon Drake pick was a pretty good process. <sighs> the Chiefs offense, man, I, can you make this make sense? Because them putting up three points against one of the worst defenses in the NFL is just mind-blowing to me. I, I can't understand it. Three points against the Tennessee Titans, absolute blowout in week seven and I, I just don't understand what i'm seeing out of mahomes and the chiefs mahomes does not look like the same guy he looks rattled out there i mean tyree kill wasn't targeted in the first half i would start there personally if i'm diagnosing things like maybe get tyree kill a target in the first half of a game if you're not doing well i don't know i mean i'm not you know uh, an x's and o's guys but it seems like that might be a good place to start i don't know what do you think <laughs> yeah probably i mean he still finished the game with nine targets so still had pretty elite usage travis kelsey had 12 targets but there's obviously something wrong with the chiefs offense they just can't score at will how they used to i don't know if teams have figured them out this season or if they're just playing terribly or what and regression has definitely hit from the last couple of seasons where they were just overperforming especially in the turnover category Patrick Mahomes has nine interceptions and a couple fumbles this season three of those interceptions aren't his fault but still six of those are and he just hasn't been playing well the offensive line is getting crushed he had like no time to throw yesterday and the chief scheme right is Travis Kelsey in the intermediate and short and then have enough time for Tyreek Hill to get down the field. But when the offensive line can't hold up for that to happen, Tyreek Hill isn't going to be hitting those deep plays. And then Travis Kelsey's like getting double teamed on every single route, and they're playing like a bracket coverage on Kelsey. And then there's nobody else on the Chiefs offense that you have to worry about. Like you can man up Byron Pringle. You can man up Demarcus Robinson. You don't have to worry about a running back because CH is on IR. Daryl Williams is old and dusty. So when you can key in on Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and get pressure on Mahomes, like you're most likely going to be the Chiefs this season. And it's just that simple. I think that's definitely a leak in my process is I'm kind of still take locked onto the fact that it's Mahomes, it's the Chiefs offense, one of the best offenses in the NFL. And they've been pretty solid in terms of fantasy, but at their prices on DraftKings, they haven't been producing you know, GPP winners. And that's definitely a leak in my game right now. So I have to fix that and have to uh, have to stop playing them ultimately um, until their prices come down on DraftKings. And it's a, it's a tough scene for the Chiefs right now. Yeah. For, from a DFS perspective, I definitely think 
the point you're making about it being like a price sensitive thing is is the case because like they are still putting up points you know they you know week one 33 points week two 35 they've got a 42 spot a 31 spot it's it's like they are putting up points they're eighth in the nfl in team scoring through the first seven weeks of the season so they are putting up points it's just not trend you know translating i guess into the same sort of like fantasy success that we've seen so i don't know i mean it seems like they're struggling real life obviously putting up three against the titans is just like a bit of an anomaly i think because you know the titans defense is is not good like they're not good like i i guess there's probably some credence to like teams quote unquote figuring out the chiefs offense but like the titans don't have the personnel to execute on on like figuring out a scheme i I, they really don't they're beat up and they were asked to begin with so I, i i think that you know maybe there's some psychological stuff going on like it's the first major adversity that mahomes has really he had to face and that's probably messing with them and it's snowballing you know into more negativity so I I don't know I kind of have faith that they are going to get it right by the end of the year and you know we'll be talking about them in contention for the AFC by the time things finish up in 2021 but it's definitely a rough patch for them and we'll have to see how they react over the next couple of weeks they've got some some interesting matchups coming up Packers, Raiders, Cowboys, all in the next four weeks. So we'll, we'll see how the Chiefs react and if they're able to bounce back following some some adversity. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely have to see. But yeah, I guess I guess my whole point was just in terms of DraftKings. But in real life, they've been scoring and, you know, they, they've been solid options in fantasy, obviously. It's just, you know, they haven't been winning me money. So I got to reevaluate that and, you know, just got to play the the Bucks and the, and the Rams every week, not the Chiefs. Yeah, so. Bucks. Bills, Rams, sale to the money. Yep. Easy game. <laughs> Speaking of the Bucks, our final story of the week, man. So this is non-fantasy, but during the Bucks blowout over Chicago, Mike Evans caught Tom Brady's 600 touchdown pass. I'm sure you guys, unless you're living under a rock, caught wind of this story. But so obviously nobody's ever hit that benchmark, right? 600 passing touchdowns. Big moment for Brady. Big moment for the GOAT right there. Well, Mike Evans, unknowingly, not aware of the weight of the moment, walks over to the stands and gives the 600 touchdown pass ball to a random fan. And right, naturally, Brady's like, dude, I wanted that. Like, what's up? So they send over like an equipment guy to the fan and be like, yo, Brady wanted that ball. Can we have? And this dude gives the ball back to him without a fight you know, without being like, no, I I mean, I don't know. How do you feel about it? If you're handed that ball in that moment, what are you asking for out of Brady to give it back? Because (laughs) I'm certainly not just giving it back. Absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) you know, humans are greedy, right? I think, I think that's fair to assume. And Everybody on social media was like, why would you just give it back, right? I would have asked for this, this, that, and that, right? And, you know, I'm a piece of shit, so I would have kept the ball. Yeah. And probably sold it for hundreds of thousands of dollars after the game. But, you know, in that specific moment, you know, you're there, the players are coming up to you or the equipment manager or whomever are coming up to you and kind of pressing you and and asking for the ball back and explaining to you why they need it and whatnot. It's going to be hard to to tell them no and and stand your ground on it, especially if like Brady comes over to you, you're going to tell Tom Brady no, especially if you're a Bucks fan and he just won your team a Super Bowl the season before. It's going to be hard to tell him no. I feel like they definitely should have 
compensated the guy a little bit more than they did. I'm pretty sure they like promised him a couple jerseys or, or something. Yeah, I think he's getting a couple Brady signed jerseys, something like that. Maybe like a some tickets to another game or something like that. Yeah, and. I mean, a signed Brady jersey is obviously worth a lot of money if he wanted to sell that, but I I don't know. I I feel like you just got to be a true alpha to say no in that situation. And, you know, we we saw we saw he wasn't. We saw he was a beta, gave the ball back and missed out on potentially five hundred thousand dollars is what I think uh, an an auction person valued it at at, on social media. Five hundred to seven hundred fifty thousand dollars is what he potentially could have sold it for. So. Yeah, I mean, if you hand that ball to me, dude, like, first of all, I'm leaving the game, you know, right then and there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get held up. I'm not gonna get robbed. I'm not gonna get pressured by these dudes. I'm gonna be like, yo, equipment guy comes up. I'll be like, man, absolutely. I'd love to give this back to Brady. Here's my phone number. Contact me, you know, tomorrow. we'll, We'll figure something out. Like making that decision in the moment, absolute stone mistake. You got to know what you have. You got to find out the valuation. Seems pretty easy to me. 600 touchdown pass. I'll give it to you for 600K, right? Fair price to Tom Brady. I feel I feel like that's the wave. Yeah, maybe the fan didn't know. And <sighs> that you know, would so, be truly unfortunate. Somebody would, would probably, or somebody's probably going to interview him. Maybe like a bar stool or something. Yeah. Like we're, we're definitely going to hear the fan's point of view. Uh, soon enough and maybe he didn't know that it was the 600th touchdown pass of his career and like you said that would be really unfortunate for the fan but yeah he definitely made a mistake at that point you just you just got to take the gift that God handed you yes and like you said leave the stadium so you don't risk you know getting jumped for the ball or having all of the staff come up to you and, and be like yo give me the ball whatever just leave go watch the game at a bar leave the ball in your car lock your car go on from there and he probably could have came up with a bag got his family out of debt you know could have bought a nice car and now he just has pride and and morals (laughs) that's a stone l pride and morals (laughs) over a big bag absolutely not he was honorable yeah okay that's all that matters in life I guess so. I don't know if this was true because I was watching Red Zone, but somebody tweeted that Tony Romo on the on the broadcast said that he would need a date from Giselle to get the ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Tony Romo's funny. That's that's pretty funny. That. That one's pretty funny. But that's going to be it for episode 173 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at joey carry and dfs we'll be back on thursday with our first look at the week eight nfl dfs slate for more nfl dfs content you can check out our youtube channel the dfs dose where we produce multiple videos per week and typically we live stream on saturdays for the next two weeks we are going to be doing our late night live stream on friday not saturday this is not a permanent change i'm just going to be out of country this weekend joey is going on a trip the following weekend. So, you know, we just had to shift some things around. So over the next two weeks, Friday night live streams. After that, we'll be back on Saturdays. Last but not least, you guys can connect with us in our free Discord channel. The link to join that is in the show notes to the podcast. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you. We value you. Till next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.